Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Oh, my goodness. This has been a helter-skelter kind of day. I don't know why it feels that way, but uh, I did host The Wheelhouse this morning and now The Nose. Two of our franchise shows in one day. <laughs> That's what's really getting to me, I think. Uh, and we are excited to have an all-star panel here uh, on The Nose. And we're doing it, obviously, because... The holiday weekend is coming, and we won't be around to do it on Friday. And also because you probably, you might want to discuss some things that we will bring up here at your table as opposed to getting into political arguments at your table. So we'll be discussing The Mandalorian. Hard to see how you can get into a political argument about The Mandalorian. Uh, that's the new Disney part of the latest iteration mm-hmm. of the Star Wars franchise. Um, you could get into arguments about The Mandalorian, and we're going to do that, actually, <laughs> but not political arguments. And then we're also going to talk about Elon Musk's um, crazy new Cybertruck, uh, an electric pickup truck that looks sort of like a DeLorean that got used by the people in Aliens to crash into a power plant, something like that. Uh, we're also going to – I sound a little punchy, I think. Uh, and then we're also going to talk right at the top here uh, about a speech given by Sasha Baron Cohen about what he thinks about uh, the what he calls the Silicon Six, the, the big social media companies and what they're doing to the social fabric. And when I say we're going to talk about this, I mean Susan Bigelow, uh, librarian, columnist for CT News Junkie and a science fiction fantasy novelist, uh, Pedro Soto, president and CEO of High Grade Precision Technologies, where they probably make things like Cybertrucks, <laughs> you know, or Mandalorian armor or something. We haven't really quite figured out uh, what they do there. Uh, Bill Usman is professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. Uh, and so we will begin with Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, actually, maybe the way to do this is we have a little clip here. This is from his keynote address to the Anti-Defamation League 2019 Never Is Now Summit on Anti-Semitism and Hate. Here we go. I'm just a comedian and an actor. I'm not a scholar. But one thing is pretty clear to me. All this hate and violence is being facilitated by a handful of internet companies that amount to the greatest propaganda machine in history. The greatest propaganda machine in history. Let's think about it. Facebook, YouTube, and Google, Twitter, and others, they reach billions of people. The algorithms these platforms depend on deliberately amplify the type of content that keeps users engaged, stories that appeal to our baser instincts and that trigger outrage and fear. It's why YouTube recommended videos by the conspiracist Alex Jones billions of times. It's why fake news outperforms real news because studies show that lies spread faster than truth. And it's no surprise that the greatest propaganda machine in history has spread the oldest conspiracy theory in history, the lie that Jews are somehow dangerous. As one headline put it, just think what Goebbels could have done with Facebook. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about this. Uh, it, it was a, an address, and then it got turned into a Washington Post op-ed as well. 
Um, one of my immediate reactions to that clip is think what Gandhi could have done with Facebook too. But um, uh, let's go kind of around the table. Actually, Susan, you're kind of an internet pioneer. You know, you had like you know very early uh, political blog up in the Connecticut blogosphere, one True. of the first. Um, so I don't, how did this overall theme land with you? Well. There's two reactions that I had to it. One is, the first one is this sort of larger point about the sort of unchecked, irresponsible power of a lot of these big tech companies. Well, there's something there. Um, there. There is not a lot of accountability for Facebook. There's not a lot of accountability for Twitter. Um, and right now, there's not much that government is doing about it, um, except to sort of call Mark Zuckerberg in every once in a while and yell at him, and then he goes away. The other reaction that I had to this, uh, though, was his his solution, which was to make platforms responsible for user content, at which point I just started to scream because this is something that when I was a site owner, I was actually sued for this twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only thing that protected me from the fact that one of my com- one commenter on a site that I uh, that I ran said something really terrible. Uh, was the fact that the the law says that that is not something you can do. Um, so what this yeah, would we should say you are protect you were protected by the exact section yes. of the Communications Decency Act that Sasha Baron Cohen is objecting to. That is correct. And so what would happen at that point is that small site owners, especially who are really vulnerable to this stuff, would find themselves and this, I'm not I'm including news organizations in that too, uh, who are really vulnerable to this stuff would get slapped with all kinds of lawsuits pretty much immediately. Uh, and that would just it would destroy a lot of the, the conversation on the web. It wouldn't impact Facebook all that much. They have the they have the money to defend against these lawsuits. But smaller owners would be in a lot of trouble. But you know, one yeah. of the interesting things about that law, and actually, in a previous world, I was in you know in internet content moderation, uh, you know, back before the age of Facebook, um, and we did we we were also attempted to be sued and relied on that as well. Um, the algorithms that actually help amplify or not amplify content is, in some ways, influencing. You know, it's this is a little wonky. Influences the the content itself. So, you know, you posting your thing versus Facebook actively amplifying, you know, negative comments. I feel it's like there there is something there that the site owners have some responsibility now. You know, I wouldn't strike the law down, but I think that there's a, a different, slightly different tack than just being – you know, you and your content. Right. I think maybe for clarification purposes too, YouTube might be an even better example. Although YouTube, YouTube has attempted, I think, to fix its algorithm a little bit. There was a time where if you looked at one you know, let's say they fake the moon landing video. Pretty quickly, YouTube would be sending you to anti-vaxxers. And mm-hmm. I mean, they would basically send you right down the rabbit hole uh, and to, to flat earthers, anti-vaxxers, and then to maybe some more toxic-y kind of Alex Jones, mm-hmm. Sandy Hook didn't happen stuff. Like YouTube's actual model was in a very you know, unmoderated, personalist way, pushing you towards even worse stuff than the first thing you looked at. And I think that might be sort of a little bit what you're getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, Bill, how about you? Well, I think 
You know, I think the first place to start is to recognize that there's something a little ironic about Sasha Baron Cohen <laughs> making think, this argument. You think maybe? Because if you th- – and look, I like a lot of his stuff. There's some stuff I, that he's done that I don't like because I just find it really silly and scatological. But he is, you know, a satirist. But he does it by pushing the boundaries and setting people up for things. And he might be one of the first ones – that would disappear from YouTube with some of the things that he's mm-hmm. done if his, um, you know, if his project was actually taken on. On the other hand, there are some good things, as Susan said, that that he has pointed out here. I think it, he's he's got a lot of really great little lines in it because mm-hmm. he is a comedian, and I think this line about the Silicon Six as you know being the arbiters and having amassed so much power that's that's actually you know pretty accurate and we do need to start thinking about that even though the silicon 6 sounds like it might be the next villains in a spider-man movie or something <laughs> um, on the other hand this thing um, he he keeps using this line the greatest propaganda machine in history it sounds good i i don't know about that i uh, you know, we could make the argument that the greatest propaganda machine in history was the printing press, which was actually deliberately created as a propaganda machine. The word propaganda didn't always have this negative connotation. It was to propagate religious doctrine. So, you know, once we start thinking about it in that way, I think we start to realize that part of the real problem that we're facing, and this is so multi-layered, we could spend an entire show talking about it, is Nobody knows what Facebook is, I think, including Facebook. Mm -hmm. They don't Mm -hmm. know what it is either. The government doesn't know what it is. We don't know what it is. Is it a publisher? Is it just simply a a conduit? Should we think about it the way we think about radio? And look, there's all of this hate that is on social media has been on radio for a very, Mm -hmm. very long time prior to this. So, you know, there, there are important points to, talk, to, to, to think about, but I think talking about some type of tight government control over that is leading us to some, some, some layers of difficulty that I'm not sure we're prepared to deal with. Right. I mean, Susan, first of all, the great thing about the internet is that anybody can use it. The bad thing about the internet is right. that anybody can use <laughs> exactly. it. Right. You know? Exactly. And, and to Bill's point, one thing that happened in the last last presidential campaign is the Trump people kind of figured out that Facebook didn't know what Facebook was. And so they went to Facebook and they said, could we do this stuff? And then Facebook goes, well, yeah, I guess, we, guess maybe you could do that stuff. You know? And well, how about this stuff? And in a way that the Clinton people weren't, they were kind of aggressive about like, well, how, what kinds of advertising could we do here? How could we pay for it? How could we keep it churning day after day after day? And that, that's the reality of the internet is that if you're mm-hmm. smart about using it, it doesn't know what it is. It has no self-consciousness. So if you're smart about using it, you you win. But I think also – and there was something mildly offensive to me about a, a rich and famous and I think genius comedian saying that he wants to limit all these kinds of expression that a librarian from Enfield was able to use back in the day before you were the mega celebrity you are now. You know, you were able to start this thing up and 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 be on the playing field in a, because it, you couldn't be limited in typical ways. That's true. Um, and yeah, so it's it's always a double-edged sword. Um, between participation and sabotage almost. Um, 
And you're going to get both of these things. And of course, as a librarian, the way to fix this is to educate people. And if we're actually talking about really fixing it, instead of trying to sort of government cludging it into into shape or regulating it out of existence or whatever, um, the real fix is to try and get people to understand what information is, how to consume information, and how to be skeptical and evaluate information. Um, but you know, I, I would love to see a world in which we were all able to do that. Um, but of course, people on the internet who are smart about it are going to prey on people who don't know how to evaluate information. Because people, like you said, they don't know what the internet is. They don't they don't understand this constant stream of stuff yeah. that's coming at them all the time. So information literate people uh, can understand this stuff, but it's very hard to be information literate these days. I think I just saw that they've now created this deep fake video of Nixon mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. giving a eulogy for some mm-hmm. astronaut that never existed, never happened. And I, I guess from what I've seen, it's it's very, very difficult to identify that it's not something that Nixon actually did. Deep fakes mm-hmm. are terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and Pedro, it's an arms race in that sense, right. you know, the good people versus bad people or people with consciences pe- versus people with no consciences. And it really isn't clear who wins that arms race. No, that's true. I mean, the deep fakes are, are, are terrifying because it's just, you know, as computing power gets better, they're just going to become more and more indistinguishable. So, you know, at some point, I think the networks, the content networks like Facebook are going to have to figure out, well, how do we just, you know, set up any sort of community guidelines that when this stuff shows up that it's just actively – that everyone knows that it's fake, right? I mean they're going to they're gonna have to be the ones kind of telling us and teaching us how to you know, watch for this stuff. I mean of course they could always moderate their site, uh, which they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, they, well, they, well they, they depend they – have, they have some mm-hmm. people. Um, but in the, in the largest sense, they depend on an algorithm to moderate their sites. This is what Twitter does. This is what YouTube does. This is what Facebook does. There's an algorithm in place that's supposed to identify content that breaks guidelines. Right. It doesn't work great. Uh, you know, there's lots of, lots of examples I can think of where someone will post something pretty innocuous, but it will get flagged. Whereas something terrible get posted and it won't get flagged. Well, you can weaponize the content moderation, right? Yes. So that you can get normal content banned and you know amplify bad content. But, but if you if you have a human person actually moderating this stuff, if Facebook was able to hire people to really actually moderate, and if you think about the difference between like a really well moderated forum mm-hmm. online and the, and a not very well moderated forum, there's a huge difference there in the level of conversation that can happen. So. Maybe that's part of the solution is to actually have human eyes on enough of this stuff to, to change it. I think the most effective part of his speech um, is when he's saying, was like, look, like, you, you, you know, Facebook can fix this. They just don't want to. Mm. And I think that's true. Oh, that's absolutely that's I mean, absolutely true. Right. I mean, a lot of it is business model, too. Yeah. I mean, you could say to Facebook, just in the sense that raw materials are a, uh, X part of Tesla's budget to sort of get us ready for the next topic. <laughs> you know, content moderators and people who mm-hmm. make sure that your site doesn't misfire, that should be 20% of, you know, uh, of your of your profits. You should be spending X amount. But with no pressure on them, they'll spend one half of 1% uh, on the same project. But I don't, you know, 
Bill, I mean, the, the other problem with Sasha Baron Cohen's speech was his reliance on government to do something about stuff, and particularly elected government. You'd sort of think somebody as yeah. smart as Sasha Baron Cohen can look around and go, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, let's, who, who have we elected lately? Let's see. Yeah, I don't want you know Betsy DeVos to all of a sudden become the content regulator for mm-hmm. the internet or someone like that. At the same time, it is – you know, one one of the th- most disturbing things that I think Zuckerberg has said is that they are going to rely on AI to, to to distinguish between what he called good content and bad content, and it is you know part of the problem is on the one hand, as you say, we don't want a governmental force coming in and and regulating this that that should keep you up at night thinking about, but on the other hand. You know Zuckerberg and 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 all of them are, are they're just so blasé about this, and you, you know Zuckerberg's. To thing, be fair, I'm not sure Zuckerberg has another psychological state, but <laughs> right then, uh, <laughs> but you know his thing about you know well you know I I don't want to shut the Holocaust deniers down because people are allowed to be wrong about things. I'm not giving his exact words, but mm-hmm. that is the Basically exact argument mm-hmm. yeah. that he made. Well, it's not just being it's just not make oh I made a mistake when I said the Holocaust never happened. No, it's not quite that, mm-hmm. but. But you're right. It's about the business model. So I think the problem is that a lot of people are looking at this um, from from a, a content perspective, and I think it needs to be looked at from a political economic perspective. And is there a way to approach this where we're not regulating the content, but we are kind of putting in place some structures that's requiring these companies to spend some money to respond to some of this. I think we have to stop there, but good conversation. Uh, look up the speech if you haven't uh, already. There's some great commentary about this speech too, uh, going both ways. All right, we have to uh, switch gears here, quite literally switch gears. Uh, I don't know if it's a standard or not, Pedro. Do you know this? There's so, no gears. So. Continuously variable <laughs> transmission. Is there even yeah. a One speed. Is there a driver or is, it, is that AI That's too? That's right. What are we talking about here? We're talking about uh, Elon Musk. Musk and Tesla, uh, and their new Cybertruck, um, which is a which is an uh, electric, uh, obviously uh, electric powered. Uh, t- Peter, you explain it. You're the car guy. <laughs> You're the yeah. tech guy. Pedro drove up it. It's an EV today. pickup yeah. truck. Okay, wait. That's still the didn't, future. I, I still don't know what that means. Electric vehicle, electric gotcha. pickup truck from the future. Okay. But it doesn't look like a pickup truck. Doesn't look like. Does Michael a, J. Fox jump out of it? I almost expected him to. Right. So this is a, it's a pickup truck. It is yeah. meant to compete uh, with the Ford F-150. In fact, they did this, you know, kind of <laughs> yeah. highly oh, debated so, uh, uh, tug of war kind of thing where the where the pickup truck, the Elon Musk pickup truck, the Cybertruck pulled an F-150 up a hill while it tried to go in the other direction. And I can, uh, I can just see those F-150 drivers thinking, man, I need to get myself an electric vehicle. Right. What it looks like a lot is the armored personnel vehicle in Aliens, the second mm-hmm. Alien movie. Or the vehicles from uh, uh, Blade Runner, right? As well, yeah. yeah. The Mandalorian but, could have jumped out of it too. Right? That's true, uh, and we'll come to him. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but so I, so like we should say that Pedro is a Tesla owner. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you but you're not you're not sold on this though. No, um, I mean, look, this is you know with, with Elon Musk and this. I mean, he's been hyping this for months. It's going to be Tesla. Their next vehicle is going to be a pickup truck. Everyone's like, this is great. But, you know, I think that um, Elon Musk is is really um, 
he he's he's sort of on, on on just beyond you know cars at this point, and he's more I feel like just like pure just hype idea. I'm just going to do everything that is just you know <laughs> ten miles beyond everyone else, and so you know I, you know you can see how this this truck is just straight out of his head in terms of like I'm going to do something and it's going to be like the truckiest truck that ever trucked. I mean, <laughs> and, and this is what you end up with, you know. But plus Blade Runner. Um, so I am I am not sold on it. Uh, I have friends who love it. Um, I think from a very high ten thousand foot level, I think it is this conceptually crazy, awesome thing. But um, you know, waking up every morning and getting into that thing is going to be pretty interesting. All right. We should say that the exterior. This will set up Bill. Oh. I think the exterior is made from a newly developed stainless steel alloy, the same metal that's used for SpaceX <laughs> rockets. Uh, the alloy enables the car to be literally bulletproof yeah. against uh, at least smaller firearms, including nine millimeter uh, <laughs> handguns. At- um, <laughs> But and a man with a sledgehammer hit the sides of the truck in the in the unveiling without damaging it. But a demonstration of the truck's supposedly unbreakable metal glass windows backfired when a metal ball thrown at the windows did in fact break them. <laughs> "Quote, but it didn't go through," Musk sheepishly pointed out. So well, <laughs> it wouldn't have gone through in regular glass, either. right? So. <laughs> Bill, there's some part of you that is troubled by the way this is kind of plays into our paranoia and our need to have some kind of assault vehicle we can drive around in. Yeah, there's this great book by a sociologist named Barry Glasner called The Culture of Fear and the subtitle is like why we're afraid of all the wrong things. You know, what is it in us that makes us feel like we need to encase ourselves in armor just to, you know, go pick up some last-minute groceries for Thanksgiving dinner. Have you seen the crowds out there at Thanksgiving? <laughs> maybe, Have you? Maybe, maybe that was a bad example. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was a bad There's example. people who would take a sledgehammer to your yeah. car to get your turkey right now. And then Friday's even worse, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? right, when I got to get my Baby Yoda doll. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do, I do think it, it, it plays into that culture of fear. And we do know, right, Bad things are happening. We we read about them every day in the newspaper. But are we going to have to encase ourselves in armor to to survive this next you know decades that are coming? There's also you know the thing about the the glass breaking. My first thought was. You didn't rehearse this exactly. <laughs> like so now he's claiming it's only because he hit it the wrong the, order. The, right? yeah, the sledgehammer yeah. hit like, it first. You, did, you didn't rehearse this yeah. exactly the way you were going to perform it. And I was trying to think of some take on um, Listen, the zombie apocalypse, you can't be telling people, okay, throw the balls the at us first mm-hmm. and then you can come with the sledgehammer. That's exactly but right. Yeah. I was trying I was trying to think of some take on if if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Um, and I think the biggest thing I can come up with, uh, if the glass breaks, that's a big mistake. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Johnny. Um, so, Susan, science fiction writer, put on your science fiction writer hat. I mean, there's a way in which, back to Pedro's point, is this actually a consumer g- product or is this, you know, Blade Runner and Aliens and all the movies that Elon Musk ever watched and all the graphic novels he ever looked at and blah, 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 blah. Well, in a certain, a certain sense, Elon Musk is still 12 years old. I mean, this is a man that yeah. shot a car into space. <laughs> and he has he has created the the vehicle from every single 1980s dystopian science fiction movie, um, and it's it's just so silly looking, but it's also it it does feel like something that leapt out of the past, but the past vision of the future. It's 
I, I will say that I had a, a wonderful moment of schadenfreude when the, those windows broke, and so did a lot of other people. That was that went <laughs> viral. Um, there's there's a lot of satisfaction in seeing Elon Musk fail at something just just because here's this incredibly rich and very smug person uh, who didn't do something right, and it's just this little bit of all right. That that felt nice. So I, I like what you did there, though. It's sort of like uh, Fred Leibowitz said that Trump is a poor person's idea of a rich person, and you're sort of saying this is a person in the past idea of what the future probably looks like. Exactly, it's retro future. It's the Jetsons, yeah. uh, but 1980s version. So it's not. It's like the Terminator or RoboCop. I so mean, you know, it's oh, sorry. No, no, you go. But then I <laughs> want to offer a defense of the Cybertron. <laughs> well, I, I think the thing with, with with you know with Elon Musk is just that like you know. It, so, so like the vehicles and like what he's done. I mean, he brought electric vehicles to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. The reason that they are a viable thing that people actually buy is specifically because because of him. Which is a really good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, GM. You know, if you look at every other electric vehicle up until this point, you know, nothing even touches the Tesla. It's just crazy to see. You know, I mean, I guess at some point this is the business person to me. It's like, okay, well, why don't you step back? You be the idea guy and let the company now run on its own speed. And I think that, you know, I guess the countervailing argument is like, no, you need someone, you know, like a Steve Jobsian kind of crazy person to always be pushing the limit of what's possible to kind of keep advancing that. Right. No, none of these guys ever right. step back. Also, I would refer yeah. you to Bill Burr's mm-hmm. take on Steve Jobs, which is that he would just walk by designers and go, Okay, I want it to look like you're turning pages on a screen even when you're not turning pages. Okay, I'll see you in three years. You won't get any vacations. <laughs> you know. uh, but but and this, there's a little mm-hmm. bit of that in this. First, I want to tell you one crazy but funny thing, and then I'll offer my defense. Uh, on Tuesday, the Dubai police uh, official Twitter account uh, – tweeted an image confirming that it will add a Tesla Cybertruck to its fleet. <laughs> the Cybertruck will serve alongside other metals such as the Bugatti Veyron, yep, the Lamborghini yep, yep. Aventador, the Ferrari FF, and I don't know what any of those are, and many more. Um, and, and so <laughs> I love that. There's like this, mm-hmm. The Dubai Police Department has these kind of crazy overpowered cars to chase God knows who, people stealing oil or something. But um, the thing I wanted to say, and people I'd, I'd, love to get your, uh, yeah, I'd love to get your responses, is I think – to build on what Pedro just said, that, you know, what they're doing here a little bit is saying to, I mean, uh, like the next car that I buy will, I think, be an electric vehicle. Um, but I think electric vehicles still sort of have this kind of micro green crunching, you know, kombucha drinking uh, image to it. And in a way, he's sort of making a muscle car, you know, a real in your face, I will pull your freaking Ford F-150 up a hill. Take that, you redneck, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that there's something to be said for that because that's a lot – that's a big segment of how Americans understand cars. I mean the reason you could sell something as stupid mm-hmm. as the Hummer in this country, mm-hmm. you know, which gets like six blocks to the gallon mm-hmm. or something, you know, is because we have that idea you know, that we want some kind of slightly militarized or massively militarized assault vehicle. At least a lot of guys with testosterone issues living <laughs> in the Deep South. So I don't know. Like maybe I should throw it over to the media study. Guy. I feel like you know he's kind of saying, okay, I'm going to recode this product. I'm going to rebrand this product so that it, it's a different thing. I, I do think it's a recoding. I'm not sure it's deliberate. That, that would be hard to, to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, although if it is, okay, like good for you because you – 
like like there are certain people who would be ashamed to be the one you know climbing out of like a leaf or something mm-hmm. when they when they pull into the parking <laughs> lot and instead that's they, a kind of car but <laughs> yeah, yeah but either um, image works who makes the leaf Nissan 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 yeah the Nissan mm-hmm. leaf right but but that's exactly what those kind of people would would never be seen in and so there you're right that it does have this vibe of um, I can be a bad guy you know I. You know, if I drive up in in, in this, and um, even though it's electric, like I'm still cool. And can we make can we make driving electric vehicles cool? Okay, that's fine. One thing I'd be interested in researching, and because I I don't know, is in terms of the production processes of these things. Are they really as environmental as we think they are, or would you have to drive it for? 20 years before you mm-hmm. would, you know, kind of make up for the fossil fuels that right. you're not using. Well, the upholstery is baby Yoda skin. So right away, we've got a problem. <laughs> but, um, but absolutely, Billie Eilish will go for a ride with you in your Cybertruck. So uh, already, you know, you've made some kind of progress. All right. We have to take a break here so we can talk about the Mandalorian. We have a lot to say. Well, some of us have a lot to say. I've got my truck right by my side. I got my truck right by my side, yeah. I've got my truck right by my Welcome back to The Nose. I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Pitchfork. You know, I was supposed to do a reset. I'm supposed to say this. I'm Colin McEnroe. This is Connecticut Public Radio, I guess. Is that what I'm supposed to say? So um, I also forget the name of the show that Jesse Thorne actually does host. All right. Bullseye. So, Bullseye. Yeah, that's right. So um, McNichol's all worried that I'm going to hate on The Mandalorian. And the truth is, that was, by the way, the opening music to The Mandalorian. Um the truth is, like, I'm not going to hate on The Mandalorian. I just don't really care about The Mandalorian, <laughs> and neither does Bill Usman. But we have two very serious Star Wars fans uh, here, and they are going to um, explain to you why you should give Disney Plus um, a subscription of $7.99 per month uh, after a seven-day seven day free trial or do some kind of bundle so that you can watch this latest offshoot uh, of Star Wars. So if I go to Pedro first... We'll never get back to anybody else. So, um, so Susan, why don't you take the lead here? For maybe, first of all, I don't know, do you feel, oh, her bike is the one that's being worked on right now. I'm back. Uh, or are you back? Uh, am I back? No, now you're back. We can't hear. Come back in here, Wolfie. Um, so instead, okay, you, okay so you okay. start. You start okay, us okay. out. Can you, do you feel comfortable, like, trying to set the stage or explain what the, where the hell we are in this Star Wars universe right here. Okay, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let me put on my nerd hat. So this takes place Mm -hmm. after the events of the Return of the Jedi, after the Empire has uh, fallen or moved back and left this kind of chaotic space behind it. Uh, But the Republic, wherever that might be, hasn't really 
been able to take control of things at all yet. So it's in this sort of uh, this sort of anarchic space, which is something that Star Wars does really well. These sort of uh, lawless spaces, uh, like Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and that's something that it's sort of again. It's, this whole thing is distilled essence of Star Wars. It's really good. Um, so that's what this is set in this kind of lawless place. Uh, and there's a guild of bounty hunters, one of which looks just like Boba Fett, but isn't Boba Fett. Um, and is called the Mandalorian because that's the name of his sort of religion. And he's a bounty hunter, and he's going after bounty, and that's uh, that's the setting for it. And I I really did like it. I fell in love with it right away uh, because it is it is like every it's it's fan service for Star Wars fans. It's it's everything that Star Wars fans really wanted to see. It's got all the callbacks. It's got all of the references to other movies and other other properties. Um, You'll see sprinkled throughout there, like there's a sand crawler in it. At one point, it's, it's full of Jawas, um, and that's the thing you see in the first movie. Uh, there's like the little little creepy thing that hung out next to Jabba the Hut. You see one. You see one <laughs> yeah. roasting on a oh, spit. Oh yeah, and they're eating those things. They, mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently they're, t- they they're delicious. Peter, yeah. <laughs> what are those things called? Oh uh, well, Salacious Crumb is is the name of yes. the character, but I don't know his species. <laughs> oh, oh no, minus one. Sorry. <gasps> yeah. Uh, but no, I think it's it's great, and it. But it, I, you know, if it, it can't exact. It can't exist outside of this sort of Star Warsiness about it, um, but because it it is in that space, it's just really fulfilling and satisfying. All right, so the um, episodes are kind of a little on the short side, um, and and Bill, before we let Pedro turn Pedro loose on this <laughs> sandy terrain, um, Bill, it I thought, and even that music we played going in is kind of reminiscent more of. Some of the westerns that we might have watched growing up, the kind of the riflemen have gun will travel, gun smoke kinds of things. You know, uh, this character is often kind of riding into these situations and then a gunfight erupts and then he kind of rides out of these situations. Uh, It seemed a little familiar to me that way. Yeah, I do think it's a western. It's a science fiction western. Um, And, you know, I I think that I I wouldn't say I really – actively hated it either. I just – it's more kind of just benign indifference. But but what I think that stems from is – and I, I think it's really for dedicated Star Wars fans. At least that's the sense that I have of it, which which I'm not. And I wasn't particularly a fan of Westerns either. So there's so there's not a lot in there to, to hook me. So I never did get hooked by it. I probably won't keep watching it, even though I saw that it's a very well-crafted production. There's some nice humor in it. You know, the music is cool. I see some good things in it, but it just never really hooked me because I'm not sure I'm the audience it's trying to reach, which is a little odd if you think about it because – in some ways, I should have been exactly the Star Wars demographic. I was a 15-year-old boy when Star Wars, Star Wars came up who loved science fiction and read comic books. I should have been right in their wheelhouse. But I never really did get into it and then just kind of left it behind after those first couple of movies. So I'm sure that there are layers in this that I 
actually literally don't understand. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting the references. I'm not seeing the connections. I couldn't figure out the chronology of it. But that's increasingly the world that we live in. In other words, the Marvel Universe, I mean, uh, you know, the the last movie was based on 23 preceding movies. (laughs) So we kind of live in this kind of embedded, highly contextualized universe. I'm going to torture Pedro some more and just do one more thing before he gets to talk. Uh, And that is, I think you should hear a little clip from the show. This is, you'll hear the voice of Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian. You may recognize his voice uh, from Game of Thrones, where he was somebody important who got killed by somebody bigger. That's all I'm going to say. You'll also hear the voice of director Werner Herzog as the client uh, and uh, Omid Abtahi as Dr. Pershing. Here we go. Beskar? Go ahead. It's real. This is only a down payment. I have a comptoner of Beskar waiting for you upon delivery of the asset. Alive? Yes, alive. Although I acknowledge that bounty hunting is a complicated profession. This being the case, proof of termination is also acceptable for a lower fee. That is not what we agreed upon. I'm simply being pragmatic. Let's see the puck. I'm afraid discretion dictates a less traditional agreement. We can only offer you a tracking fob. What's the chain code? We can only provide the last four digits. Their age? That's all you can give me? Yes, they're 50 years old. We can also give you last reported positional data between that and the fob. A man of your skill should make short work of this. All right. So Pedro Soto, when he first joined uh, the news, he made us sign a document saying that he would not do Star (laughs) Wars shows that he was not on. Uh, So paid in full. You have the floor. Um, I mean, first of all, there is a Pedro in the Star Wars universe that obviously very happy about <laughs> with Mr. Pascal. Um, yes, absolutely love the series. Um, absolutely love um, everything about it. I, I I feel it's the Star Wars series that at some DNA level I've always been looking for and all of a sudden it's shown up. Um, I just think from um, it's, you know, this is Star Wars as Western. Um, the episodes are a little bit short. Uh, but I think that once the entire season is out, that's really the way that it's it's supposed to be ingested. Um, and I think just um, you know, I think that this is this is going to be a series for the long haul. I think this is going to be probably a five or six season type show that is going to turn into something really really cool. I mean, when, uh, I, I want to just probe this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So why is this the Star Wars that you've been waiting for? It's. But it's it's something that's, you know, the main story is just all about Jedis and all about the dark side and all about this. And then as you're going through the main Star Wars movies, you know, they land on a planet and you go into a cantina or you, you, you encounter something and you're like, wait a second, that looks pretty cool. How about that? And we're, you know, there's a whole, you know, the whole background of Star Wars is so interesting and the movies just kind of fly through them. So to be able to spend an entire several seasons in these little dark corners of the of the universe, I think is going to be really cool. Um, Rogue One, I think, was also really similar. Like the, the opening scene of Rogue One takes place in this like giant um 
you know, uh, space station. You know, you've never seen a space station besides the Death Star. Um, and it's this giant place, and it's like, wow, you could have an entire series just in there. So, you know, the fact that there's going to be hopefully more exploring of just places we've never seen or you've only kind of touched on is is really exciting. See, I was trying to figure out why I don't like this that much. I mean, I, I, I not that I don't mm-hmm. like it. I just don't care about it. I'm not going to watch five seasons of it. I'm not going to watch any more than the three episodes I've already watched, which is sort of where Bill is, I think, too. And, like, I really liked Rogue One a lot. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was like sort of Clint Eastwood's Iwo Jima uh, Star Wars movie or something. You know, it was really sort of about what war is like when things got really, really bad. A- yeah. And and I, th- I I was trying to figure out what – there's so I have so many questions. One of the things that fascinates me is that when the original first ever Star Wars, A New Hope uh, movie came out, like n- our whole reality was different. I mean nobody had ever sent an email at that time. You know, this the, the, the future – talk about the past version of the future. I mean the future just didn't really exist in the way that it turns out to exist. And that fascinates me. But Bill, I think one of the problems that you and I might be having is that drama is not constructed – in these episodes so far the way it is. I mean, for example, okay, mm-hmm. spoiler from Star Wars A New Hope. When Han Solo turns around and comes back and saves <laughs> Luke, mm-hmm. you know, that's like an incredible moment. I mean, even somebody as Star Wars resistant as you, you're like, yes, yes, because they've constructed that moment so beautifully. So much of the movie is kind of leading up to something along those lines. And I just don't think this series has the room to create moments where the violence or the the mayhem that's happening supports a dramatic premise with the same emotional oomph. I guess I just overthought the Mandalorian in that well, sentence. Well, to be to be fair, we've only had a chance to see three episodes, and it may be one of those ones that, for a non-Star Wars fan, you know, kind of like takes a while to rev into gear, and maybe that will be coming. Uh, Pedro might be absolutely right. I was I was a little surprised. Why didn't they release it? The way Netflix does, you know, they want your seven ninety nine every single week. No, that's true, and (laughs) I immediately canceled my my subscription (laughs) after my trial, my free trial after that. So, so we may not. It it, it may in those first three episodes, it may not have had a chance to get to where you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I do think listening to Pedro also explains to me a little bit more about why I didn't respond to it because I'm just. I'm not re- I'm not I'm literally not seeing the things that he sees right. L- literally. So I remember when the Avengers uh, movie um, all of a sudden the giant man character appeared. <laughs> that was super exciting for me. I jumped up and down in my chair. My kids were so embarrassed and other people were like why is he acting like that? Well, it's because I've been reading these Avengers mm-hmm. comic books for decades and that giant man character was always one of my favorites so here he is that really turns me on so but but without me being a part of the star wars mythos i i'm not getting that from mm-hmm. this show we might have time season for one last comment and then we got a break for uh, endorsements so, anything else you'd like to say yes uh there there <laughs> <laughs> so i thought there might be believe it or not there is actually a political take on the mandalorian um first off there really aren't a lot of women in it mm-hmm. uh yet there's well, yeah. we could say yet, uh, but so far there's way more Jawas in it than there are women, mm. and that that is a problem. That is a problem. The other thing that I think is interesting— You don't know what a sex Jawas anyway. Half of those might have been women Jawas. Well, that could, that could certainly have been. They're like chickens. They're very hard to say. <laughs> the— um, the other thing about this is that it it feels like they a re- did want an egg. <laughs> they did want an egg. Yeah. The, the, the other thing about this that is uh, it feels like a reaction to 
all of the backlash against The Last Jedi in a lot of ways. Um, that here, whereas The Last Jedi pushed Star Wars, uh, pushed the boundaries of Star Wars and undermined a lot of the narrative of Star Wars, which I thought was really good. I thought The Last Jedi was probably my favorite Star Wars movie at this point. Um, but it was it was completely slammed by a certain type of fan mm-hmm. for being too PC, uh, for being uh, sort of they were uh, SJW social justice mm-hmm. warriors had in, infected it and it was bad that way. Uh, so that kind of fan, I think the, this is like Disney saying, all right, okay, here, here, other fans, here's your Star Wars, um, and this is something that's safe for you to have. So I think that that is this is kind of like. A, Something that it, it's safe for them, and it's it's a reaction to a a, a larger cultural trend. Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely not a inclusive. woke thing. Like you know, no. just Jawas get indiscriminately killed. That some poor thing that's sitting down there with its egg just gets lured out and killed. I mean, just it's just <laughs> like everything just gets killed, gets killed, and nobody seems to worry too much about whether as a species it has any rights. We have to stop there though, because we won't have time to endorse stuff. So it's called the Mandalorian. Uh, you you pays your money and you takes your chances, which is Disney's new slogan, by the way. Floating in a pod, baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Levitating a horn monster, baby Yoda. The world has gone insane. And you don't know what is This is an outrage. Disney launches The Mandalorian and Chris Thiele isn't in it. Thiele is like the best Mandalorian player in the... I'm just realizing it's not the same thing. So a Mandalorian is like a DeLorean. The car in Back to the Future? And is the DeLorean uh, like a forerunner of the Cybertruck? And isn't forerunner also the name of a truck? I have to go lie down. Before I do, today's show is produced by Mando McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. The part of Bill Curry was played by Nick Nolte. Enjoy some special holiday programming, and we'll be back next week with some new stuff. And now, back to Colin. All right. We've got about five minutes left to do some uh, recommendations, endorsements, and things like that to make your holiday weekend even better. Uh, Pedro, why don't you get us started? Okay, as I usually do, some uh, New Haven-based things. Uh, first of all, uh, this Sunday at the Fun Bar Arcade, creatively known as Barcade, is a family afternoon. So uh, normally uh, you cannot go to this 80s-style arcade bar and bring kids. On this Sunday you can, I think, from 1 to 4. Uh, so I will hope to be there and hope to see you there. Second thing is... Um, not this weekend, but the weekend after, um, the fantastic organization IRIS, Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services, uh, has a craft fair on Saturday, December 2nd. And these are handmade crafts, um, uh, you know, and international food uh, by women from Sudan, Congo, Afghanistan, and Syria. They're available to purchase, and all proceeds will actually go directly to the artisans. So great uh, gift ideas, and it's a really cool event. Mm. Well, they're a great organization, too, yes. so they, they keep it real. Uh, Susan, what have you got for us? The new season of The Crown is out. Oh, that's mine! Ah! Oh, no. That's okay. No. That's okay. Dun, dun. Do it. Do it. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll highlight one specific thing that I thought was really outstanding from, from uh, the new season of The Crown. And there's a moment in the Aberfan episode about a terrible disaster in Wales mm-hmm. where um, as, as they're burying their children, the, the people sing this amazing hymn, uh, and it's called... Uh, 
Oh my goodness! Things bright and one. No, is that that one? No, no it was. It. It's Jesus, lover of my soul. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and just it's such a powerful moment. I actually I went and I looked up the music for it. I'm learning how to play it. It's in my head all the time. Just this this incredibly powerful scene, um, which even manages to get to Prince Philip, who it's very hard to get to. Uh, it actually manages to affect him in the show. So that is one of many very good moments. Yeah, I mean, I would just I'll quickly double down on that a little bit and say, obviously, this is a weird thing to watch at precisely the moment Prince Andrew is uh, getting his, uh, his comeuppance <laughs> over his Jeffrey Epstein um, uh, associations. But anyway, it, it also makes it in some ways, even more compelling. Um, I, I, I want to single out uh, Tobias Menzies, who is playing F- Prince Philip, and maybe a kinder, gentler Prince Philip than the real Prince, Prince Philip, uh, particularly in a really fascinating midlife crisis episode that just sort of blew me away. Also, the depiction of Prince Charles is really interesting and kind of how he got to be who he is and uh, a revisit with David, uh, the abdicating uh, king. And I, there's there's a lot, of, which is Derek Jacoby this time around. I'm not seeing enough yet of Helena Bonham Carter. I want to see her full dissipation as Princess Meg. Like, I just really want to see that. But we're not quite there yet. All right. But I I haven't gotten all the way through the series yet, so maybe that is to come. All right. Bill Usman, what have you got for us? Uh, I'm going to keep endorsing Watchmen on every episode of The Nose (laughs) that I'm in. Is that allowed? I I love this show. And I keep and I think it keeps getting better and better. Um, my wife and I watched the last, the most recently ep- uh, aired episode, and she said she thought it was one of the best hours of television that she's ever seen. Mm. And I think she might be right about that. It's it's just a really great program. And then um, I recently read a novel by Ben Lerner called The Topeka School, which I also want to highly recommend. It's about a high school debater uh, a couple decades ago, but it switches. It goes back and forth in time frames. It goes between a few different perspectives. And it's really about what we're experiencing right now in our culture in terms of the the weaponization of language to to bully and to deceive and how people can get caught up in that and what the consequences of that are. I, I really – would strongly recommend it, uh, The Topeka School by Ben Lerner. All right. We're going to wrap up here. I'll do one more recommendation, which I also endorsed on uh, the wheelhouse this morning, which is – so Michael Bloomberg, apparently when he was mayor of New York, I didn't really follow this, was kind of famous for this not very good Spanish that he would occasionally attempt to speak to his Spanish-speaking constituents. So I totally want to endorse the Twitter account, uh, Miguel Blumbito, uh, <laughs> which is written in this – Spanglish would be too kind a word for it, but it's really, really funny. Uh, and it's – many of the jokes in it are funny and then the way the jokes are expressed are even – more funny. So uh, Miguel Blumbito on the Twitters. And thanks to Pedro Soto and Susan Bigelow and Bill Usman. And thanks to uh, Mr. McPants and Kyone Wolf for making this whole thing uh, such a joy to do. And goodbye. Goodbye, Lydia Brown. It's your last day. You've ruined my life. But you'll have a great life in Vermont. 